It's time for Golf DMV, highlighting golf in D.C., Maryland, Virginia, and anywhere else they travel. If you love golf and like to laugh, Golf DMV is your place. This ain't your stuffy, snobby, boring golf show. It's Golf DMV. Golf DMV, we've got uh, Vern in studio as always, LB in studio, I'm Claude. And this is a special feature, okay? And when I say special feature, I mean probably the most special feature that we've had on Golf DMV. No offense to our other special features. But ladies and gentlemen, we've got the legendary Mr. Jim Thorpe joining us on Golf DMV. Sir, how are you? I'm wonderful, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Well, it's a pleasure having you. And, you know, there's so much to talk about, so much to get to, uh, you know, and it's easy for other people to describe your story or someone else to try to frame your story and say, here's the Jim Thorpe story. But you, in your own words, tell us, what is the Jim Thorpe story? Well, I feel like I was one of the pioneers out there when I first started playing professional golf on the PGA Tour. And, you know, growing up as a kid, I grew up on a golf course. My dad was a greenskeeper. So we grew up on a little golf course in Roxburgh, North Carolina. And, uh, of course, school, we played football, baseball, and that sort of stuff. But I lived on the second hole of a golf course. My brothers and I played golf. And also had a couple of sisters that played very well. And just to kind of, I guess you can say, make a long story short, uh, when the time came when I graduated from uh, high school and all that sort of stuff, it was time to move on to start a life. And my brother Chuck, as a lot of you guys, a lot of the listeners might know out there, my brother Chuck qualified for the PJ Tour before I did. And uh, Chuck was a magnificent player, beautiful ball striker. But uh, uh, when you qualify for the Tour, it takes a little bit more than that. You know what I mean? You have to have your uh, priorities in the right place. You have to dedicate yourself to the game and work extremely hard. That's the only thing going to make you better. So, you know what I mean? After, after a year or so in school, hanging around playing football and that sort of stuff, I realized that golf was my love. And I said to my brother Chuck, who was an excellent player, I think I'm going to try and qualify for the PGA Tour. I'm going to go out and play some miniature events and grab some experience and do a little hustling and that sort of stuff. And I'm going to give the PGA Tour a shot. And he said to me, he says, well, <clears throat> I understand what you want to do, but you have to beat the boys at home before you can take your game on the road. So when it reached the point I was beating all the boys at home, especially, I knew I was ready to go, you know? Yeah. And uh, so I went to the Q school my very first time, and I got lucky enough to qualify. Uh, I came out of the first Q school just to name a couple of guys, uh, Jerry Pate, George Burns, and the Beans. Put a solid group of guys there, and I managed to finish in the top five and secure my PGA card. And I thought at that particular point, after securing my card, I said, man, I got it licked now. I didn't realize that's when I had to go to work mm-hmm, right. mm-hmm. To, you know, to maintain that. And you know what? During the course, let's say of a, a, a three or four year span, I had no money, number one. It was difficult finding a sponsor. And uh, so what I did, you know, between tournaments, I kind of hustled off a little bit and had a little job shipping shoes at night when I was home and that sort of stuff. And it was very, very difficult. And there was a lot of places that we went to play golf that didn't accept us. Uh, it was very, very difficult because I've been, you know, turned away from many, many golf courses. And I remember Remember, Mark, uh, uh, after playing a few mandatory events, uh, a lot of state opens and that sort of stuff, I decided to take a shot at a what they call the Florida Winter Tour. So living around the Washington, D.C. area, actually Northern Virginia, Alexandra, I uh, jumped on a railway bus and uh, uh, went to uh, Daytona Beach, Florida. I was going to a golf tournament, New Smyrna Beach, which was about 20 miles, I guess, from Daytona, where the bus dropped me off. Right. And, of course, you know, with no money, no transportation, this, that, and that, I put my golf bag on my shoulder, my little suitcase in my hand, and I started walking. <laughs> wow. 
said, I walked, I walked probably, I don't know, let's say 12, 15 miles, and I seen a Exxon gas station, and uh, this is probably somewhere in the neighborhood 11 o'clock at night. And uh, I went over and talked to the gas, let's say the caretaker of the gas station, uh, pumping the gas back in those days. And I asked him, is it okay if I slept in the garage area of his service station? And I mean, he's a nice dude, Caucasian dude. He was nice about it. And uh, he said, well, you're headed. And just that enough, I thought about play professional golf, and he's going to a golf room in the New Smyrna Beach. He said, you got another four or five miles to walk. And I says, well, if I could just sleep in for the night, I'll get up early tomorrow morning and I'll be gone. And, uh, you know, like I said, I had enough money for my entry fee, but I didn't have enough money for hotel. And uh, actually, I didn't really have enough money for food, man. Right? But anyway, the next morning, he let me stay there that night. So about 12 to 1 o'clock, he brought a blanket, smelled like oil, the back cover. <laughs> And the next one, I got to walk to the golf course, play Mr. Fee, play the practice man, and won the golf tournament. Wow. And this is 1970, let's say 1971, 72, somewhere in that area. And, you know, there was a few other brothers playing, Nick Sox, Jimmy, George Johnson, Robert Lee Walker. I want to say another 10, 12 brothers out there had the same dream that I had. You know what I mean? So we all, after I won the tournament, I won $3,000, I'll never forget. And I bought me a brand new 1971 Duster. <laughs> <laughs> got your car now. Mm-hmm. I got but that thing cost the whole thirteen hundred dollars. That was gas tanks and everything. Right. But anyway, we was riding that man, and we played the Florida one or two and that sort of stuff. So after about two, maybe two and a half, three years of doing that sort of stuff, I I, I wanted more. You know, I was watching golf, and you watch the likes of Anna Palmer and Jack Nicklaus, Lee Tabino, Gary Player, just to name a few. Then I knew Charlie Siff and Lee Elder had went before I. Right. My brother. I could qualify for the tour before I did. And uh, I just wanted more, man. And, and so anyway, I lost my card uh, because I didn't I didn't have that financial support, you know, to stay out there. Right. And, uh, of course, you know, you do what you got to do to, you know, to survive. So I started hustling golf. I mean, something tells, something tells me if you can walk that many miles with, with luggage and a golf bag and then sleep in a gas station garage. No question. You know what I mean? And then, and then walk another four miles and, you know, play a practice round and then win a tournament yeah. that you've got what it takes to kind of get the card back and then to do what you've got to do. Something just tells me you've got the resilience. You know, I felt like I had what it was taken. I had, yeah, I always had enough, uh, let's say enough hard to put, uh, to, Perseverance, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, right? And stuff got going. I, I felt like I could, I, I could meet that. You know, I couldn't turn around and, and, and change the past, but I, but, but I had an idea of what I wanted my future to be like. And so I realized I said, if I, if, if, if I, if I practice and work hard, and you know, and hopefully find enough money to continue to play, I can, I think I can make a go at this. Mm-hmm. So of course, uh, uh, those, and then you know, the 1970. Seven or nineteen seventy eight, one of the two. Uh, so I went back and I won the Q school. And my second or third tournament on the PGA Tour, we played in Tucson, uh, Arizona. It was uh, metal play at the time, and I finished second to a guy named uh, Tom Watson, Bruce Liskey, and I finished tied for second. And I made a check for like eighteen thousand dollars, man. And whoa, that was big money then, brother. Life changing money, I imagine. <laughs> that was big money. I mean, that's like that's like twelve dusters. Yeah. <laughs> You know, take a guess. Yeah. But anyway, uh, uh, and at that point, by, by the time 1979 rolled around, seven, yeah, the end of 78, 1979 rolled around, I, I really felt I belonged there, you know what I mean? And, of course, I played many, many other places be, before that mm-hmm. where African-American guys or black guys at the time just wasn't accepted, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, as a young man, you didn't quite understand that because we just wanted to compete and play a game that we loved, a game that we dreamed of. And uh, so we knew 
well, put it this way. I knew in time that things would change. I can't sit and tell you what the likes of Charlie Sefford, Lee Oda, and probably Jim and Dent, the guys that went before I. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine what these guys went through. Right. But after a while, I figure, I figure out if you was going to win golf tournaments, you had to win, and you had to win through intimidation. Mm-hmm. Because there was, of course, it would not let you in the clubhouse. Right. You know, there was some golf course that wouldn't let you in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And if they did, they want to know if you, who were you catting for. Oh, excuse uh, me, Jim. If I can cut you off, I'm just curious right now. You're talking in the these the issues that you're having with being accepted into these courses. We're talking in the 70s, right? Yeah, early 70s. So yeah, it's yeah. not that. I just want to be want the listeners to understand. We're not talking, you know, 80 years ago. You know, mm-hmm. we, no, yeah, no, it's no, not no. that long ago. No, we're talking 1978, 79. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, then I realized it was very difficult, man. But I said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to find a way to perseverance and uh, make this thing happen. And I had some decent, some decent to the miss and that sort of stuff. And sometimes when you're young, you know, you, we make mistakes out there. You know what I mean? But to me, that's the only way to get the experience is to make mistakes. Right. And then by the time, let's say, then I think my first win came out there was like 1982. Um I was lucky enough to win the Canadian PGA, which was a which was a big uh, a, a big bonus because I beat the likes of Ben Crenshaw, Raymond Floyd, Landon Watkins, and Oof. and I felt like then that I said, you know what, you continue to work hard, you can make it happen. So a couple more decent years. Then 1985, I think that was my really my breakthrough year. You know, I beat a guy named Jack Nicklaus in Milwaukee Open in 1985. Yes. And then just before that, about two or three weeks before I beat Nicklaus in that tournament, I was a low pro at the Western Open in Chicago where I was beating the playoff by Scott Burpling, who was an amateur. Mm-hmm. But let's just say I got the money. <laughs> I got the money and he got the trophy. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take the money over the trophy for the yeah. most part. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm, I, yeah, I'll yeah. I take the money. Uh, Jim, I, I wanted to ask you, um, when I was reviewing your your profile, like the, the Milwaukee Open 85, that you know that really jumped out, you beating Nicholas. Because at that yeah. time he, you know, he had seventeen majors under his belt. Now I would be psyched. I would be really excited if I beat Nicholas in a game of spades or pinochle <laughs> or anything. So I can only imagine, like at that time, you knew how how important that was. Like what a big win that was when you when you uh, when you won that tournament. Or did it just feel like yeah. another day of golf where you're just beating other other good pros? Well, the thing about you, you were a young man was catching for me, a, uh, a young man by the name of Lee Trotter. We got you the golf course on this Sunday morning. And uh, I had a tough time sleeping Saturday night, a very tough time sleeping. I said, if all the golfers in the field, I get fired with Nicholas, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) The best player on the planet, you know? Yeah. But you know what? I went to the practice team. I was a little bit nervous, man. But after, for some reason, something just kind of come over me and something just kept saying, focus on your game and you can do it. You know, you can't control anything that he do on the golf course or any other player doing the golf Mm -hmm. course. Mm Mm-hmm. The one person you can't control is yourself, right? And then I tell you, I made a couple, uh, actually three or four quick birdies. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That was it. And once, you know, once I got like a two, three shot lead, mm-hmm. I game was on. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I tell you, was to continue to make birdies because you're playing with Nicholas. You know what I mean? I right. mean, the best player in the world, seventeen majors and all that sort of stuff. And no telling how many to win seventy two or seventy three wins at that particular point in his career. And uh, uh, so I knew I had to be on my game. So I never forget, standing on the 18th tee, I had a three-shot lead. I think a three-shot. I think I ended up winning by three. Right. I'm not doing anymore. But, uh, man, I hit the tee shot of my life, you know what I mean? I was pumped up, you know. I felt like Hercules, man. <laughs> I'm a, I'm, 
I must go up this thing 400 yards, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. That's what I'm talking about. But it was a, a great win for me, and the reason it was so good, because at that particular time, we did not have the all-exempt tour. Oh, that didn't right. start in 86. So I needed that win to be exempt for the next couple of years. Oh, faith, wow. That's faith with habit. Uh, the next, uh, let's see, another four or five weeks passed, and I went to Tucson match play. Okay. And I was kind of, that wasn't new to me because I was used to hustling. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Can, right. So can I ask, can I ask you, I mean, I'm going to ask you about that too. So you, based on what you said earlier about like walking, having to sleep in the garage before you go play, there must, we've talked to other amateur golfers on this show. Yeah. For you, for your story career, there there really is a difference between a golfer who's good and can win and a golfer yeah. who's good at competing. That competitive muscle, that mm. ability to beat, to respond to pressure and to beat the next guy. Can you can you tell me like what that looks like on the golf course? What it is, listen, pressure's there for you haven't prepared yourself, okay? Okay. If you go out there and you hit, let's say, 504 foot putts and you get that muscle memory, you get it in the corner of your mind, you listen for that sound. You keep your head still, you listen for that sound. Right. So when you haven't did all your reps and the things you need to do, then that's 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 when the pressure showed up. Okay. Right? Now during those days, I was the weak driver to golf ball. I was a long hit, but man, I had a hook. I could hook it around a building. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> but what, I knew it was going to hook, so I trusted that. Okay. Yeah, you know, I trusted that. I would set it on the right side, sometimes in the trees or in the water, and that baby would hook out of there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we didn't have the let's just say we didn't have the trainers they have it that day. We didn't have the teachers they have it that day. Mm-hmm. The younger generation show up today. They show up with with the from A to Z. You know, they you know they got their their shrink with them. Then they got their doctor with them. They got their psychiatrist, sports psychologist, all these people. Mm-hmm. I mean, they got the whole nine with with them today. Yes. Uh, so anyway, you know what it turned to be? Then I come back the next year and had a couple of second places, and I went Tucson again in 1986, second. and you know beat some wonderful players. I felt I beat Ben Crenshaw and uh, uh, Bruce Lisky and Buddy Gardner. So I beat I, I beat some top of the ranked players. Uh, I kind of wish because I had a that stretch there where I kind of let up a uh, let up a. Uh, uh, not necessarily let up, but I didn't have that burning desire. You know what I mean? Hmm. There's, something, there's something that happened there, and maybe because you was making a little money, you was doing some stupid things and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Horse tracks and casinos and that sort of stuff. You kind of so you kind of lose focus there. Yeah. And so what happened? Uh, the years passed. The years passed, and you know, made a living, supported the family, and that sort of stuff. And then at the time, I lived in Buffalo, New York, from from 1977 to 1996. And when I was getting ready for the championship tour in 1999, I said to my wife, Carol, I said, you know what? It's time to go from here. You know what I mean? Uh, we go to Florida, find a place and buy a place big enough for mom and dad to join us. And, and, but in order for me to be successful in the championship, I got to be in the warm climate because these guys, even though they're a little bit older, yeah. they still play. Mm-hmm. And it was just some of this, a lot of the same guys that I competed against. So I knew their games, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. So I felt like that the good Lord gave me what you call a mulligan. Now, that was a real mulligan. For the first nine years on the champion tour, from age uh, 51 to 59 or 60, I won golf tournaments. Mm-hmm. And uh, ended up with 14 wins. Well, actually, 13 official wins. Then Jim Corbett and I win the Legends of Golf, which is out in some part of, uh, I think it's Branson, Missouri. And... Uh, you know, so I look at it that way, and a win to me is a win. So, as you count the Amico, uh, the Amico Centel tournament that I won, what, the 
what the PGA called the 40 and over tour. Yeah. And, man, I won the likes. I beat some great players there, Hubert Green and Larry Nelson and, you know, Tom Watson and right on down the line. Right. All of the guys my age and hold up competed in that golf tournament, and I kind of run away with it, you know. I opened up with 64 there and never looked back. I mean, I was just absolutely, in, you know, you just get in that zone. Right. So the, so the thing that happens out there, and, and, and this will help a lot of young players too, you need to find that something or that someone yes. that tell you the things that you need to hear versus what you want to hear, all right? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so that's when we come up with, uh, the late on, we came up with a, a, this thing called the nine core values of the first tee. All right. So if you, you know, if you go to your Google and Google first tee to give you the nine core values, and those are the things that I kept to my heart. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If I did that, you know, get my nose clean and, 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 and don't get caught up in all of this new equipment and trying to hit the ball further like they're doing today. <laughs> then I that tee, You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, it worked out very, very good for me. So when I turned the rifle at age of 68, I'm 72 now. When I turned the rifle at age of 68, I think it was time to take a break from it, just shut it down, you know what I mean? Because it, the traveling had started to wear it down on you. And then my daughter gave me two beautiful grandkids. I got a four and a two year old that I love to death and uh, hopefully teaching them how to play golf. And um, so, you know what? All in all, I have no complaints. I often wonder sometimes if the black players on the PGA Tour mm-hmm. could have under the same circumstances or situation that the Caucasian players did. If we play with sponsors in our pocket mm-hmm. or endorsements coming in and uh, wonder what their career could have been like. But can you imagine leading a golf tournament and you show up at the golf course on Sunday morning, you can't get in the parking lot because you're black? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great point. And so I wonder, you know, what was the culture like among the black players on the tour then? Like, was, because you all were experiencing the same things that I'm, I'm sure, but you were also competitors. And, and, and not yeah. everybody forms, you know, these sacred bonds over trials, but there had to be some sort of camaraderie over the same kind of struggle to get on the tour with you guys. You know what? We talked about it. I mean, we exchange, uh, we change, you know, help on the golf course when you need a little chip and help, a little putt and help, that sort of stuff. Oh, uh, hey, which hotel do you guys stay at? What's a good hotel to stay? Where mm-hmm. you going to be and all that sort of stuff? So, yeah, we were together. You know, Charlie, Charlie Sipper was a, was a magnificent help. So was Lee Elder, Jim and Dan. Calvin Pete, Calvin Pete was awesome, guys. I tell you what, man. Uh, if there's one underrated player in the game of golf, uh, it was Calvin Pete. You know, between... 1982 and 1986, Calvin beat one 12 times. Mm. <laughs> wow. Calvin, also, so, Calvin, I got to be very, very good friends, close friends, and no one on God's sweet earth could hit a golf ball as straight as he hit it. Mm. I, I think Calvin told me he had missed a fair weight in 10, 11 years, man. <laughs> 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 I oh, that is funny. Uh, you know, to, and to that point, you know, with the, and can we talk? That's even some of the struggle today with some uh, golfers is, is, you know, with the sponsorships and things. And, and you know, you got yes. some guys who, who can live on the amateur tour because you know, not that they're winning, but they just got people with deep pockets supporting yeah, them and sense. wanting to support their career. I, you know, Tom Watson. Yeah, I wonder how many you know garages he had to sleep in <laughs> with an oil blanket before he got off the tour. Yeah, probably. Yeah, blanket smell like oil. Probably. <laughs> Probably none, but I, but but I tell you what's happened. There are some good things happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have. I just joined uh, UGA United States Golfers uh, UGA uh, United States. Uh, oh, you're not, not Golf- United Golfers Association. Yeah, 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 yep. And so, what we're trying to do, first of all, our young players out there today do not utilize what they have. 
They have the likes of Jim Dent, Adrian Steele, Ron Terry, uh, Michael Cooper, they, Lee Collar. They have guys who have played on the big tour, all right? They have guys that not just only can play the game, but they know the game. Yes. And not just knowing the game, they know the, the administration side of the game. Mm-hmm. So this is what we're trying to do with our young players out there today. Uh, the one thing I see that that stopping them, I don't think is, and even from a financial standpoint, we're going to help them. So I don't think that is the case. I think it's the it's that the burden. You, you need a burning desire to play the game of golf, mm-hmm. right? Golf, golf is not for every young man and woman that wants to pursue it as a career. Because you know what? I give my wife credit. She raised two beautiful daughters that, uh, uh, that you know, where I was gone 30, 35 weeks a year. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to keep a roof on the head. Right. Trying to get food on the table. And so I give all the props and words. I mean, we got four or six years coming up in the summer. She's been a oh, magnificent. Nice. Congratulations. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. Well, she, you know what? She just wasn't a wife. She was everything I needed. And she had the balls to tell me what I need to hear. But <laughs> I, <won't> hear. <laughs> I was complaining about God. She says, work harder. You know what I mean? She don't, she don't want to hear it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you think you've done everything you possibly can do to make this thing work, but sometimes it just doesn't happen, pal. Yeah. Sometimes you work your butt off because I remember 1985 was probably my best year. If I had the same year, let's just say before I left the PJ Tour in 1996, if I had the same year in 1998 or 99, probably would have been worth $7, $8 million. But in 1985, it was only worth 300000 mm. But don't mm. get me I'm complaining about that. But the money the young guys are making today, the PJ is producing probably 100 plus millionaires every year. Mm-hmm. Every when it's a million bucks now. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I take my hat off to Tiger Woods, uh, before Tiger, Arnold Palmer. I think these guys raised the bar. I don't think we'll ever see the bar lifted as high as it is right now. Right. And I can't speak for other people, but I'd be glad and hope and pray every day that Tiger gets back. Because you know what, man? I love golf. I mean, golf is my, you know, outside of my wife and daughters and grandkids, and of course, the good Lord is number one. But, I, I love this game of golf. I mean, I still play a 72 years old. Matter of fact, I shot a nice one today, 67, you know, for about 6,600 yards. <laughs> oh, oh, no. From 6,600. Oh, oh, gosh. Where, where at? Where at, if you don't mind me asking? I play the Whitmore Country Club. I'm going to do a golf there. Yeah, uh-huh. it's in Bowie. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, we, we know it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going I'm to I'm get my brothers together and do a golf tournament over there and, and try to set up some exotic golf trips to, uh, you know, Dominican Republic, places that, uh, you know, play places like Pepper Beach and Spyglass and Cypress Point, all those wonderful places that many, many years ago, a few years ago, we couldn't get on those golf courses and yeah. the guys always play. So now, from a business standpoint and a financial standpoint, we have brothers in a certain position where we can make these trips and enjoy each other and talk about the things we need to do to embrace our young people mm-hmm. to get to and listen we have tried so hard to level the playing field i remember my wife and i was talking about it i think 2000 whatever i don't remember guys that and uh whatever year the first team program started uh jim cobert uh commissioner tim tim Fincher, and President Zeller, we spoke at the house of congress on behalf of the first team organization explaining why we needed that right and when it was my turn to speak, I needed it for two reasons. I needed it so we could take our young men and women off of the streets and give them something constructive to do. Yep. Another thing, it was trying to level the playing fields. I mean, we're in a new millennium now. This is 2021, all right? Mm-hmm. And we only have one black player on the PGA Tour, and that's Harabana. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong with that picture, man. Mm-hmm. Something's mm-hmm. picture. So it, 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 it's either, it, it's a, you know, it's, 
lack of hard work. It's a lack of not having the heart. It's just a lack of not disciplined enough to do what you need to do to go out there and make it happen. Right. And my thing is because someone look at me and say, I, I'll never forget walking down that road with my guy back on my shoulder. Uh, a car was slow down and said, man, you better take your the work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, man, you go with a guy back on your shoulder and all that sort of stuff. So basically what they're telling me or saying to me, <laughs> you need to get a job. You, you, know, you can't do this. You would never do this because you're a black man trying to enter into, into a white man's sports. Right. And of course, golf was the last uh, sports out there to be uh, segregated. Uh, but for some reason, we have more young African-American golfers today than we have ever had mm-hmm. men. And, but for some reason, we can't get them to the next level. And one of the reasons we can't get them to the next, next level because they don't come and talk to guys like Jimmy Dent. Lee has got a little old now. Charlie's gone on. Yeah. But we have great guys that, that have wonderful knowledge of the game. And you know what? As long as you believe in yourself and believe in working and dedicate yourself, man, the sky's the limit. I tell you what, if I was 25 years old today, man, I own my own thing. <laughs> I believe it. I mean, I mean, I mean, the thing, I mean, look at, look at our boy Tiger, you know what I mean? I mean, man, I tell you what, whether you love him or like him, he is so, when Tiger's on television playing golf, you know what I mean? I go into my golf room and lock the door. I don't want to be bothered. (laughs) (laughs) As a player, I don't walk around the golf course and watch other players play, but with Tiger, I did. Okay. You know, I walked golf course to watch this guy play uh, when he won his last Masters. Matter of fact, speaking of Masters, I played with Nicholas when he won his last Masters. Mm-hmm. I played with Jack Gordon Sanders, man. Okay. okay. And there was a friend of mine from Buffalo, New York, was a uh, writer, a young man by the name of uh, Gary Garulli, said that maybe remember 1986, Greg Norman won, led every major golf tournament going into the last round. So Greg Norman had a one-shot lead over Seth Ballesteria. Seth had like a three-shot lead over Jack Nicholas, and Jack was four back. So Gary said to me, he said, oh, who, who you like today, Greg or Seve? I says, you know, they're both hell of a player, but they, none of them can beat Nicholas. I said, the way he died, I said, boy, he break this guy for us down. Right. Look at him talking to his caddy, who was his son. I need to hit it left here. I need to hit it right. I need to keep it under the hole. I need to keep it. Uh, I need it up here. But, I mean, just listen to him, the way he broke that golf course down. Uh, dissected that golf course. I knew why he was a 17-time major winner. Because right. he was so he he was so brilliant between the ears, you know what I mean. And of course, Ben Hogan said, "If you control the six inches between the ears, you can beat the game." Mm-hmm. So, and the, then of course, Tiger comes along, and and then whatever Tiger's daddy did as a young man, it worked. It worked. He had no fear. He wanted to win. He wasn't cocky, but he knew he could beat you. Right. You know what I mean? And you know what, man? That's half of the balance is believing it. If you believe it, you know, it makes no difference what nobody else say. But if you can believe it, man, you got to let pal. Right. But I just, I would say this. Golf is a magnificent game. Uh, I recommend it to if you, if you, young people out there or either older people out there that don't play the game, get a sell a golf club because when you're on the golf course, it takes you someplace that you've never been. It's almost, you know, I, I think what it is, when you win in golf tournaments out there on the tour, mm-hmm. I think it's like a drug act. When he first started doing drugs, it takes him to a level in his mind that uh, nothing else can get you there. Enough doesn't get you there. Right. And what you become addicted to it because you're always trying to get back there. Yes. Right. And that, 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 that's the thing with golf. And people say, oh, golf is choke. Golf is did this. Listen, golf is on choke. We make careless mistakes. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. We make careless mm-hmm. mistakes. You know, you know, choke is when you can't tee it up on the first tee. When, they, when you got 40,000 people watching and the TV cameras on you, when you can't get the ball to sit on that little white tee, a little whatever color <laughs> tee, that's when you're choking. <laughs> but when you can tee it up and hit it, 
you ain't joking. So what happened to us out there is we make children's mistakes, guys. And, and the mistakes we make are mistakes that we can learn from, right? Now, if you guys watch the British Open this week, Jordan Speaks probably played the best golf, but he made the most mistakes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the mistake was on with his putter. You know, he three putted 17, 18 yesterday. They yep. started the day off, started the day off with bogey bogey. Mm-hmm. So when that happened, they kind of put you behind the eight ball a little bit, but but you know, he hung in there and he fought good. It's just the idea that the other young man just played a beautiful round of golf, and you know the player saw him run a golf on that issue four round and the sixth man on the, what I call cap past the golf courses, man. It's just very very impressive, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to your point about mistakes, Jim uh, Colin Morikawa, I think no bogeys through the last thirty uh, through the thirty holes. So he was basically you- in the front running position, and the only way Spieth is going to win is if is if Colin makes a mistake, and he didn't. He just he closed him out. Um, I, well, that, when stuff like that happens, you're going to win. Right. Now, right. guys, one of the things, very quickly, one of the things that I'm working on, mm-hmm. first of all, is maybe moving back into this area, okay? Because I live it up here, and I got grandkids and three daughters up here. The other thing I'm working on, I want to start the first African-American golf academy. Our mm-hmm. kids need to, they must have a training ground. And just not for golf, but it's going to be about the administration side of the game, all right? It's, 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 it's going to be about uh, social networking, how deals are structure, how contracts are written and all that sort of stuff. We need this. The PGA of America must have seven to seventy five thousand employees, but don't have a handful of blacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, those things need to be changed. And the reason it's like that, it's not the PGA fault, but the reason it's like that because as as a whole, for many, many years ago, our kids just refused to read, all right? And for many, many years, I always believed that when they wanted to keep something from you, whoever wanted to keep something from you, they would put it in the form of a book or magazine. Mm-hmm. All right? And so if, if if we can approach that and get it off the ground, let's say in the next couple of years, I might not be around to see it, but I think in years to come, we would see the playing field. We would see 25 or 30 young African-American men and women on the LPGA, on the PGA Tour, on the Corn Ferry Tour. And you know what? And we need that. See, there was a time we didn't have the assets. We didn't have the money. We didn't have the golf courses. But now, it's no excuses now. Right. There are no now. Right. Just don't do it. All you have to do is go out there and do it, man. Listen, the game of golf doesn't care what color you are. They really the do. game of golf, if you can play, the PGA is going to write you a check. That's right. <laughs> the PGA is going to write you a check. Just go play, man. I'm telling you, that's the whole, and that's what I'm trying to tell these young guys today. I mean, they're beautiful swing of the golf clubs, and this is every time you see them, what they're working on is their golf swing, their golf swing, their golf swing. Yeah. Listen, Golf is a game of misses. It is the only sport that you can actually play and miss and win. Mm-hmm. So it's what we play is how good we miss. Mm-hmm. So if you can play or win from your misses, you have the game beat. So when you talk about the pipeline, seeing what's going on at Howard, where Howard's golf team returns, seeing that I guess uh, UMES, I believe it was, has the has a scholarship now or a golf management program. So not just players, but for those who can't make it on the tour, now we've got an avenue at, at University of Maryland Eastern Shore at HBCU for these young brothers and sisters to go into golf course management and things like that. So this is the pipeline you're talking about. That is it. Okay. We just had, uh, early in Florida this year, we had Howard Golf Team down that I spoke with the uh, young men and young women, and we talked about these things. Yes. Uh, that's going to be a minute. That's going to be a minute. Many of you out here today trying to pursue golf as a career, you're not going to make it. That's not to say that you won't be involved in golf. Because there's the administration side of the game that makes a lot of money to leave. I got buddies of mine that went to the Q school with me that couldn't make it on the tour, man. But, you know, they're knocking out a million plus a year working for the tour. Mm. So there, there are many, many ways. We just got to get it out there. But I think if we can start this golf academy, 
it just won't be uh, uh, golf, golf, golf. It's going to be administration, hard work, and, and, and let them know about golf designing, golf architects, uh, class A pros and class A apprentices. And we have a lot of apprentice programs out there where our kids need to get involved in summer programs. So these are the things that we're trying to push. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did this thing, uh, summer camp. Uh, they call it a summer camp in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. I had 102 kids for about three days there. Mm-hmm. And and uh, of course, there's a lot of kids, man. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, when it comes time to eat the pieces and the hamburgers, man, everybody was on board. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it comes time to hit a few golf balls, go to the classroom and, and watch videos, that sort of stuff, man. You know, man, you kind of had to pop your belt a little bit to say, "Hey, guys, come on, we got to go do. It. <laughs> right. Let's get a little. <laughs> we got to put the work in." But uh, but you know what? You know, we got it done, and I think what is happening, uh, I just did the Steve Harvey golf tournament down in Atlanta, Georgia. You know, Steve Harvey speaks to over a million young kids out there. And, you know, some of the things he say, a lot of people take it the wrong way, but you know what, man, he's telling the truth, man. He, he's telling the truth. It's, it's there if you want. And if you get the proper education, keep your nose clean, say yes to education, no to drugs and all these things, yeah. man, the sky, the sky's the limit. In golf, you know, we, my baby daughter, uh, Worked with me uh, to try to keep me involved in corporate America deals and all that sort of stuff. Unfortunately, that COVID nineteen shut things down for a while. Right. But uh, she is big in golf. She's big in wanting to help the young ladies from a uh, standpoint. Let's say a makeup or, or the way they look, the way they carry themselves, which means a lot to corporate America. You know, you can't go out there, you know, uh, it, you know, looking mad when you hit a bad shot. You yeah. know what I mean? Be, yeah. yeah. You remember to keep a plug and look on your face because guess what? No one's gonna let you hit it over. Mm-hmm. That's, That's right. True. Mm-hmm. That's true. Just, just go out there and just go out there and make it happen. Young men need to keep the haircut neat, clean. Mm-hmm. That's what corporate America is looking for the way you speak, the way you carry yourself, the way you deal with people, and that sort of stuff, man. And that's one of the things that. I mean, I'm getting back into that's doing a lot of corporate corporate America work, uh, uh, entertaining. That's that sort of stuff on the golf course. And it's funny, too, because I spoke in Baltimore at the Rotary Club, all right? Now, when I got there, I said to my friend, Vince Robinson, who got me the gig, I said, Vince, what in the world do I talk about, man? The average age is going to be 75. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, Jim, they want to hear your story. They want to hear your uh, uh, experience, what happened then and now. What, is the, what was like then and how it got better and what have changed? But right. well, we know Listen, we know time changes everything, man. Time changes everything. And and I'll say that because there was a lot of things in place when we arrived here. We can only make them better. Mm-hmm. All right. But one of the things that bothers me about programs in schools today, I was talking to this young group of kids, uh, done a lot there in Louisiana. So I started talking about Rosa Park and Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and they looked at me like what in the crap are you talking about, man? Mm. No, not teaching. So they have no idea what black history is all about. And I tried to tell them about Lee Elder, Bill Spillers, Howard Wheeler, Howard Lefter Brown, Nick Gardner, Gordon Chavis, uh, my brother Chuck Thorpe, uh, 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 Kevin Pete, Jimmy Dent, Lee. They had no idea who I was talking about. They mm. think Tiger was the first. That's a shame. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a shame. So, you know, we just got to educate our kids, man. Our kids are very, very bright. They have a bright future. Educate them and get them on the right path. It's going to be okay, pal. Yeah. And I'm and I'm kind of, you know, I've done some corporate work to keep the bills paid and that sort of stuff. I'm kind of dedicating my life to, you know, making it better, trying to get the playing fields level. And hopefully one day we will. I believe. So I can appreciate all of the knowledge and the positivity you just dropped, Jim. But I'm, I'm gonna, I got to keep it real with you, man. 
I want to know. I, I want to know what your your best hustling, your golf hustling story is, bro. Because listen, <laughs> listen. When I go out here, sometimes with, with my buddies, I got a mm-hmm. we got a guy in our group who coaches at Oxen Hill. He's he soon as he steps on the tee, what we doing today, fellas? What we doing? <laughs> and we got guys that we play with who don't normally bet, and somehow even a small bet, even a small bet, just comes out five, ten dollars, a Nasdaq, something easy. And the pressure come on, and cash just start falling apart. So I want to uh, give, give me your best hustling story. Like, what's the time when you went out on the course and somebody was looking at you like, man, what's this dude about? And then when it was over, he's cussing himself because he lost all his money. He lost all his money. <laughs> well, you know, God, I got so many stories, man, but I'm going to tell you one that's on the top of my head. Oh. I was playing this young, man in, uh, playing this young man down in Tampa, Florida. Okay. And we got a course called the Airport Course. And this, this is back in the day. We was hustling, and we had some backers and all that sort of stuff. You know, guys with money and that sort of stuff backing these players. So, you know, when you're playing for four or $5,000, you know, it's okay for people to watch you, but they get to watch like spectators watch you. You know, they can't be on the golf course and Bob and a ball go in the rough or the hazard or something. They got to be out. Okay. So, I was playing this guy named Jimmy Taylor. Jimmy was a money man out of New York. I was playing Jimmy Taylor for $5,000. Don't forget, man. And uh, he got to work and that sort of stuff. And he knew my brother Chuck, and he knew he couldn't beat Chuck, but he said he never heard of me. So he said, just stick it up and play for what you want to play. Well, you know, man, when you got $10 in your pocket, it's hard to play $100 basketball, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so what happened, we're playing for 5000 All the betters got together, but they're betting this money, right? We come down to 18 oh, We come down to 18 holes. I, I probably shouldn't say this. I'm going to say because I think Jim is dead and gone. Jim hit his tee shot down the left side in the Bermuda Rough. And that Bermuda Rough was probably three inches high. That's high enough to hide a golf ball. If you don't walk right up on top of it, you're not going to find it, right? Yeah. So they're looking for the golf ball. But what happened, I find the golf ball. <laughs> I picked it up. And I, knew, and I knew Jim was playing a tightest one. I knew that. Yeah. So we checked the first team. I said, I got a top flight here. Anybody hit the top flight? <laughs> I was broke, man. So what are you gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> so I put the ball in my pocket, right? Yeah. Man, he goes down about another fifty yard holler. Here it is. I got it. So oh. now I can't. Man, I cannot say a word. You can't say nothing. I said, this is the you-know-what shame. I got this ball right here in my pocket. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell him that, that I picked it up, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, man, man, I've seen some, man, I've seen some hustling games you guys would not believe. <laughs> I mean, I've seen guys play for forty, fifty thousand dollars a hole. Mm. And I'm not talking about years ago. I'm talking about recently. Yes. I'm talking about in the last month. Mm-hmm. You know? And if you go down to Michael Jordan golf course down there, Grove 23. Grove 23, yep. Man, listen, take your checkbook. <laughs> you take the mortgage with you. <laughs> we had a young man just showed up at Michael's golf course three, four weeks ago, okay. one of those country things. He said to Micah, he said, you know, Micah, I got about 50000 here. How much you want to play for? Micah said, let's flip for it. Go ahead this hot sun and try to play golf. Let's just flip for 50 <laughs> wow. The money guys bet is absolute, man. It's it, it just absolutely awful, off of the chain, man. It's like monopoly money. And that's why I know we have the resources to make it happen for our young people. Mm-hmm. We just got, hey, we just got to unite our resources, mm-hmm. pull these young kids together, let them know that the answer is no to drugs, the yes to education. We're going to make this happen, okay? We're going to make this happen. You know, yeah. you got to do your part. Hey, there's only so much that we can do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So the younger generation have to have to have to play their part. But listen, we got some very, very talented young men and women that are still trying to make it out there. And for one reason or another, we don't know why. 
that they have not made it at this particular uh, point in their career. And uh, I don't know his name, but I met a young man today that wants to play golf with me next week. They say he's the real deal. Okay. So I'm going to go out and play with him next week. And we chit-chat about 35 or 40 minutes a day about, you know, what, what I think on the golf course and what I'm thinking about and do I really watch other players and that sort of stuff. And, you know, I gave him a few answers. You know, it's nothing to me watching another player. I can't change anything he's doing out there. I just focus on me. And he said, what about down the stretch? Who's the one player during your career you didn't want no parts of down the stretch where you was in contention to win the golf tournament? Yeah. And my answer was, I didn't want no parts of myself. Mm. Mm-hmm. I could keep myself under control. I can handle everything else, you know. So, so the thing about it, we're going to miss shots. Right? We're going to miss putts. That's just the nature of the game. That's the, that's the, that's the way uh, we learn the game. We, we're going to make mistakes out there, but be able to learn from your mistakes. You know what I mean? Find a way to keep the big numbers off of your scorecard. Yeah. I said, if you keep the big numbers off, sometimes you hit it behind the tree. You say, well, I can hook this one out here and do this. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it that way, man. Just chip it out, get it back in play, and play from there. That's right. You know, you can recover from a bogey. But if you make a double or a triple uh, even higher, it takes a long time to recover, man. Mm-hmm. So just just go ahead and take your medicine because the golf course will give you some burgers. Absolutely. 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 So in so, the movie of your life, who plays you? Well, that's a good question, man. Probably my grandson. Okay. Okay. Because the default <laughs> answer for most people is Denzel Washington. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> Denzel's a cool dude, but I can beat him on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do you do you have a Denzel story? Did you hustle Denzel out of five thousand dollars? No, I didn't hustle Denzel. But I hustled Mikey Jordan a couple of times. Oh, <laughs> <Uh-oh>, man, <laughs> yeah, perfect. Uh, listen, listen. Now here's a good story for you. Okay, I was born and raised in the Carolinas, if you guys know. Mm-hmm. We had a golf course in Winston, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, called Winston Lake Park. Okay. All right. Now you remember that cartoon, Bro Rabbit? Mm-hmm. Rough. All right. Well, this is what this golf course was. This was the this, man. This was the broad patch. All right. I mean, you can hit a dance in the fairway and couldn't find it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, was doing a tournament there, a big uh, coach big house game. Anyway, that that morning they wanted to go play Winston Lake Park. They heard a lot of this. What a lot of the brothers started that sort of stuff. A lot of good black golfers. So there was Lawrence Taylor, Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. and Al Woods and myself. Okay. All right. What a foursome. That was a hell of a foursome, man. Yeah. So we bet five on back then and that sort of stuff. And they had a lot of money out there. Right. So anyway, they woke up and drive it down some of the fairway and can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> the green the green was like putting on a dirt road. Mm, mm, mm. So man, I think I'd be there until out of three thousand. I think I beat Mike out of about sixteen thousand. And uh <laughs> I I just stopped playing ad because he couldn't play at all. Uh. But I think what man, they cursed me from one side to the other. Man, you bring us to this garbage. This- <laughs> <laughs> That's what you hear about. You know, You're like, hey, I hit shots. <laughs> we all had to play the same course, gentlemen. <laughs> exactly. But you know what, guys? Micah, Micah walks around and say he's a two, three handicap. I wish I could play him for a little. <laughs> <laughs> Even at my age, seven two, giving them two or three shots. Yeah. Man, I tell you what, they have my name on that tennis shoe box. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Thorpe, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Hey, thank you guys, man. And thanks for having me on, man. And I tell you what, get ready because my book will be up pretty soon. Oh, got it. Oh, oh absolutely. Okay. Yeah, we're all going to buy it. We've got to get you back on. Yeah. Bless you guys.